This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McCrae. As the new Congress settles into the legislative year, many farmers and ag groups wonder what is in store for the industry. Will we get a new farm bill this year? What about other issues such as country of origin labeling and waters of the U.S.? We take a look at the expected and the unexpected. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. When it comes to using nitrogen on my corn, the more predictable, the better. That's why I've used Pivot Bio Proven 40 on my corn for the past two seasons and will again this year. With Pivot Bio, I know my crops are getting the nitrogen they need no matter the weather. And now that same predictability is available right on the corn seed. Pivot Bio Proven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plan. To learn more, just contact your local sales rep or go to pivotbio.com. A lot of factors impact farming that are seemingly out of a farmer's control. For many of us, the laws and regulations regarding agriculture can seem that way at times. With a new Congress now sworn in, I sat down with Kayla Jenkins with Pinion, formerly known as Keiko Isom, who is a strategist working with growers and agribusiness firms focusing on legislative issues impacting agriculture. We discussed what 2023 may bring, and in some cases, what it brings is simply a lot of uncertainty. But we examined some of the key issues and how the legislative branch may act upon them. Kayla, we're going to talk mostly about legislation and types of issues that we might deal with in D.C. I'm curious, your background, how did you get over into this? You must, I guess, enjoy it. Is that the right word we use? Uh, yes, I actually love it. So I am a connector of people and resources and um, just love connecting people with the information coming out of D.C., but also making sure the voice is heard in D.C. and what do we need to do. So many times the um, acts and legislation that we see comes out and you're like, what does this say? What does this mean to me? And I love taking it and bringing it back and helping educate those that are impacted, but also making sure the indirect or the direct impacts are known backwards and forwards. One of the big topics we're going to discuss is the farm bill, but I think it might be good to start with a little history and people may say, oh, that's going to be a yawner. But no, I think you've got some interesting facts that help us think about what might be coming up in the current Farm Bill. Yep. So when we think about the timeline, everybody knows it runs out here September 30th of 2023. But little do a lot of people know that we actually don't have a law that regulates how long a Farm Bill has to run. We've seen a minimum of about 18 months and the maximum about seven years. Average, it's about four years or so. Um, So do we have a negative impact to programs within on the farm side or on the SNAP side? There was actually a study done um, through a university that showed maybe about 5% of the programs would be negatively impacted if we didn't get a farm bill done by September 30th. Is there a lot of push to get it done? Yes, especially when we see um, Senator Stabenow out of Michigan declare her retirement um, coming into 2025. So my, my thoughts, my opinions is that we will have a farm bill done between now and 2025. Um, a lot of members have said they really want to push this, but it's going to get really interesting um, as we look at some of the other dynamics within farm bill as well. 
talk about the makeup of who decides the farm bill because we had a lot of turnover <laughs> since the last one. Yeah, so that gets actually interesting. In the how in the house, there was about forty nine percent new members voted in that have never voted on farm bill before. Um, so 49%. Um, that's going to be good. That could have some negative consequences as well. We could see a lot of out-of-the-box thinking, a lot of collaboration that comes, but it could also come at a cost where they don't understand how certain titles or programs are tied to one another, how it impacts growers. So, you know, thinking about that, then when I look at the House Ag Committee, 27 um, Republicans were appointed to the House Ag Committee, only nine of those 27 have any farm bill experience as well. So there's a lot of inexperience on the House side. Senate side, also a lot of inexperience as well. They voted in 22 new members who have no farm bill experience out of the 100. So again, a lot of inexperience could bring a lot of positives, but what it means to us is we need to educate. We need to help educate the legislators and make sure they understand how the different titles and programs impact us and what it does, but also what are the things that we're looking to change. So we mentioned we may get a farm bill this year. We may not. What would be the drivers then to push it? Would it be the retirement of some key legislators or what other factors will drive what happens? Honestly, all the above. It could be retirement. It could be um, actually we may see a delay um, because of how um, some of the previous experiences have gone with uh, the House Speaker elections. Um, that could be an indicator that we could see more of a delay, though. It also could be a delay, though, in the budget side of things. Um, you have some individuals that do not want to see the debt ceiling raised, um, where you have some that want to see it raised, especially with inflation and other key factors that are going on. So could we see it pushed? Yes, because of retirements and a few other things. But we could also see it delayed as well because of these other issues that are, are now competing with one another. The challenges we had with getting a speaker elected, does that impact at all what might happen in a farm bill? Any of the different rules or things that might have changed in this process? It does, actually. So um, what Speaker McCarthy had to um, concede on with the rules could actually impact some of the ruling, some of the debate, some of the discussion on farm bill. Um, A key topic area that we've been watching is crop insurance and what that actually does with the program. And could we have another, you know, another round of votes or rather round of discussion that it it is going to play an impact with what happened. The other thing that it also shows is that we don't have um, the majority count from the Republican side is not as strong. We don't have as many seats as what we used to in, in prior years when passing a farm bill. So it also goes to show that we are going to need more bipartisan support across the aisle to help get things done this year. We think of Congress being very divided (laughs) along lines. But with a farm bill, to me, it seems like that is something that sometimes gets a little more bipartisan support. Am I just dreaming that or do we tend to see that? You tend to see that because you have not only the farm programs, but then you have the SNAP program as well. And you have to have agriculture to be able to feed the individuals and the programs that are inside that. So you do see more bipartisan support, um, especially because of programs that are all tied into Farm Bill. Um, When we look at the Farm Bill, more than out of the 2018 Farm Bill, more than 76% went to SNAP programs, actually. The rest were to Farm Bill programs. After COVID and some of those additional funds, it was a little over 80% 
that actually went to SNAP programs and benefits. So it is very telling when we think about the budgets and where funding is going and who is, is impacted significantly. I've heard some people say, well, it would be better if we just uh, took those and split them. But would that be good? Is it good that SNAP is a part of the Farm Bill? Oh, that is the topic of debate. Uh, you know, my opinion, I think they need to, I think in most cases, it needs to be together. I could see a case for them to be split because of the divisiveness between both programs. Um, but again, you don't have the SNAP programs without agriculture. And and so I think we need them both to keep each other in line uh, to to make sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. So when we look at that portion that is not the SNAP, which tends to be the things that farmers have on their minds, what might be the biggest changes that we could see compared to the previous farm bill, or what are we hearing at this point? So a couple key areas I mentioned earlier, crop insurance. Um, There's a conversation going on around the whole farm revenue program versus the NAP program. Could we see changes happening? Um, A lot of people have voiced their concerns about the whole farm uh, revenue program and it not doing exactly what people were intending it to do uh, and being able to help it like it was supposed to. So could we see those two programs be combined or, or, uh, you know, programs redesigned potentially. I also think we're going to see the specialty crop groups come into play more, especially your timber, hardwoods, um, especially looking at what we've seen out with the droughts and the fires and things. I have heard some conversation around those specialty crop groups that are, are looking at how do we help ensure with our growers. The other thing that I also think we'll see a little bit more movement on is um, SNAP. We could see that raised. We could also see it lowered. We could see it stay the same. That conversation is going to be up for debate. Um, again, could you see some individuals that put their feet in the mud and say we're not moving? Yes. Um, so it'll it'll come back. When I think more about other things that'll impact Farm Bill, um, I think about farm programs and the rules that actually impact growers within like the FSA, USDA offices. Could we have changes come to like the AGI limitation and rules or um, other programs that talk about management inside of that as well? I think those are going to be a couple of areas. There has been some conversation about raising um, raising the um, prices that are reflected with ARC and PLC. That, that's a topic of debate as well. Just because of what we've seen with prices and inflation and everything else, that is also top of mind for a few individuals. What about topics relating to sustainability, uh, conservation, climate, and and so forth? How big of an impact do those play in the final farm bill? The final farm bill will be very interesting. Um, You have some groups that are looking at sustainability conservation with a heavy focus. We want every single title to have some sort of focus on it. Then you have some groups that say, no, we we want these to stay voluntary. We don't want a heavy focus. I know Representative G.T. Thompson has has really talked about, I don't want a heavy focus on this. I, you know, we want to be focused, but it does not need to be the overarching thing. There was a group a few years ago, FACA, that put out about 41 different policies in several key areas to help start to guide the conversation around policy when it does come to sustainability, like soil and nutrient management and things like that. I think we could see some of those adoptions taken up into some of the titles. Um, But again, the topic of debate is going to be, 
can we leave it voluntary for the groups to figure out or do we have to be heavy handed with inside farm bill to make it work has the emphasis on who shapes a farm bill changed a lot since the last one Oh, dramatically. So you used to have more of your traditional organizations, your NCBA, your NCGA, state organizations kind of coming in for for growers and operators. Now today, we see those non-traditional supporters coming in, and it's your specialty crops, it's your forestry, it's your uh, consumers, it's your food service groups. So all of these supporters are coming in, and now you're asking yourself, well, whose voice is being heard the loudest? So we've gone from four different categories to about 15 different categories. Again, whose voice is being heard the loudest? When we think of voices, is there a very united voice from the farm front, though? We think of farmers are pushing for this, but who is a farmer and what are they pushing for these days? So everybody's kind of got their own little thing. When we think about what farmers are looking for, what are they advocating for, um, everybody's kind of experiencing something a little bit different. So you think about the individuals out in California. Water is top of mind right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about the individuals um, for cattle and, and what the cattle markets are doing. So everybody is, is advocating for something But um, we have to understand that what we do on one side may impact the other side. So what we may ask for out of the specialty crop group, how does that impact our beef and other livestock organizations and and producers? Same way with row crops. How does it impact? Because we all support one another. And so we all have to have a unifying voice. It's where can we come together and collaborate to come to those terms. Let's look at some other issues that this Congress is going to be facing, and there's certainly a multitude. Immigration and labor is a a big issue, of course, not only for agriculture, but as we look at the entire country. So how big a piece will agriculture play in driving this discussion? Because we certainly need labor, and immigration is an important piece of this. It definitely is. I mean, I was joking with a few people. I felt like I was the classified, the help wanted ads here a while back because so many guys were calling and saying, hey, do you do you know of somebody willing to drive? I, I'm looking for a truck driver. I'm looking for a tomato harvester. And, and it is a hot topic. It is a key item right now. One of the acts that um, got a little bit of movement and then stalled out was the Workforce Modernization Act. And I really think out of that act, there was some good and, and there was some negative things outside of it. But that's like every act. That's every legislation. There's good and there's bad. One of the good things, though, that was out of that act was helping to stabilize the H-2A uh, workforce, looking at stabilizing the wages, looking at the non-seasonal visas as well. Um, I don't know very many dairy cows that only get milked April to December or March to November. Um, Dairy cows need to be milked all year round. So taking a look at that seasonality and and that definition, um, but helping to come back and stabilize the H-2A program. Again, some pros and cons with inside of that one, but there was quite a bit of support um, within some of the ag community, especially like the horticulture, specialty crop groups that were really looking at how do we provide a stabilized labor environment for our members. Do you think then we get any, we'll say in quotes, resolution to those types of things or we make progress? Uh, how do you see it? 
Honestly, my opinion, I think we have an uphill battle with that. Um, Republicans have been very vocal about we, we're not going to be talking about this. Um, when I was there last fall of 22, when you brought up immigration or workforce modernization, um, they just wanted to almost leave the room. They did not want to talk about it. They changed the topic completely. And so I think if we're going to see a change come, we're going to have to think about how we advocate how we bundle it together what we put with it um, because I think the way we've done it here lately has not gotten the traction that we need Um, so how else can we get them to understand what our position is and what we're trying to do to get more movement is that because it's part of a much much larger issue which is very politically charged and it's trying to in a sense split those two issues apart is that really the, the heart of the issue it is. Uh, unfortunately, we, you know, most acts, most legislation is, is bundled together with other other things that also need to get done at the same time. And right now, I think we've got to split it out from the bigger politicized, you know, polar uh, topic at hand. Another issue of importance is what we call MCOOL. So explain what that is. <laughs> yep. So uh, it's the American Beef Labeling Act. And so the MCOOL is the mandatory country of origin label. Pros and cons again uh, with this one. Um, this is going to actually be up for topic of debate. We have several individual groups that are in support of it. We also have several who are against it. But this isn't the first time that we've seen this come up here this year. Um, It's actually been topic of debate in several farm bills and and outside of farm bills. And but what this program, what they're looking at trying to do is give consumer transparency around their their beef product that is produced here in the U.S. and processed here in the U.S. Um, And and also providing a premium for those growers that are producing here in the U.S., and not buying outside or not bringing it in and processing it here in the U.S. On the flip side, when you look at it, though, I I go back to what you do to one side, you have to do to the other, or your actions may have reactions type things. So a few years ago, MCOOL was looked at with the uh, World Trade Organization, and are we trade compliant? It was ruled that we were not trade compliant. So if we are going to see anything come through and and get pushed through, we are going to have to see steps taken that we are trade compliant because we don't want um, to be out of compliance with Mexico, with Canada, or or any of our other trade partners uh, because that could have a huge negative impact to to not only, um, you know, a few growers, but the entire industry as a whole. Um, So it is going to be something to watch. And, and see what actually happens and what gets changed from previous years versus this year. Again, trade is going to be top of mind, but also coming back to the voluntary versus highly regulated. Can the industry come at this from a voluntary approach, voluntary label as well? Let's go to some other issues, one of it, which is the SEC. So there's lots under that heading. So where do we want to go there? Yep, so SEC has not released their findings, their rulings on the climate disclosures. So if many of you uh, remember last summer, fall, we had a commentary period that was done for the SEC. And SEC's intentions of what they said is that they were not intending for growers to have to supply information. However, when you got digging into the regulation and looking at the wording, um, it was what wasn't said 
um, or some of the vagueness that could imply that growers could have to potentially give information to help those input suppliers, supply chain individuals meet their SEC climate disclosure requirements. Um, So we're still in debate. We've not heard anything yet. I'm hoping that we will hear something in the next couple of months, especially as sustainability and climate becomes more of a conversation with Farm Bill. But um, really hoping that based on SEC's comments, that wasn't their intention. They'll tighten up the wording and and get us something that is definitely not um, overreaching at this point in time. As you look at the myriad of things that could potentially come up, what other issues are top of mind for you thinking about issues impacting agriculture? Water is a huge one. And I think water is always going to be a huge one. Uh, We saw WOTUS. um, That ruling came out from the EPA here this month, actually. However, there is a lawsuit now that has been filed by several of the associations in Really, what is that going to do? Um, a lot of us were hoping that nothing, you know, nothing would come up in between now and the decision for Sackett. Now that's not the case. So it's trying to figure out what's this do to that decision? Does it have a negative impact or not? But now with the lawsuit, um, there's a lot of conversation going on. Is this more middle of the road, like some are saying it is? Is this not middle of the road? Um, we have still some vagueness in some areas, and we have over overarching rules in, in other areas. So, again, most trade or so associations that I know were like, "Okay, great." However, we need this is not this is not the full complete picture, and you're always going to see, I think, something come out with Clean Water Act or Waters of the U.S. We've always been in this debate for a long time. Um, But I think it's also from not just a federal perspective, but a state perspective. When you think about a lot of the states that are in drought conditions right now and what the states are doing, whether it's permits for underground water storage or it's looking at limiting um, the water that some may receive for irrigation for that year because some of the aquifers are depleted, so depleted. So I think we could see more states come out with other regulations, which will impact what we are able to do as growers and what we can and cannot grow on ground that cannot possibly be irrigated anymore. So to wind up, if you can give an outlook, are you positive, negative, somewhere in between? How do we look at this new Congress and some of these issues where we might wind up in the end? I'm kind of about in the middle right now. I'd like to see a little bit more done. Um, They are so new. And so I'd like to see a little bit more history, a little bit more under the belt. What, you know, uh, show me the proof in the pudding. Let's see where where it lays here. Um, But I think the biggest thing that we have to come back to is just making sure our voices are heard in the advocacy um, along with the education. Because if we don't have it, um, who's going to do it for you? Well, and for the, we'll say, average farmer out there, how do they make sure that voice is heard? Because we are but one person in a very big country with a lot of different issues out here. Uh, This is a really fun topic for me. So many different ways. You can reach out to your state or your federal um, legislator and ask them to come out and visit you on the farm. And don't, don't take it as a 
uh, as a non-win as a loss if your representative is not able to, but their staff is. Because what a lot of us don't realize is how much um, the staffers are listening and running also those offices and being the ear to that to that representative. So inviting them out, helping them understand how things work, how programs impact you, letting them have that on-farm feel, that business feel for you. Um, working more with some of the trade associations, your NCGA, your National Corn Growers, your AFBF, your NCBAs, they will help amplify that voice as well. But it's going to take all of us. The other things that you can do is write letters. I know several individuals that have given out personal information to say, hey, we want to hear from you. Um, USDA um, Administrator um, Zach Duchanel, he is one of those. He has given away his personal email and phone number and has asked for feedback. And he personally responds back to as many as what he can. And so his, his staff has also repeated that he tries to get back with everybody. Last but not least is do a fly-in. It's very neat to do a fly-in to D.C. with some of the trade association member groups or just do it yourself and make the meetings with the staffers to meet those representatives to say, hey, how are you doing? What are you doing? Here are some of the things that are impacting us and, and sit down and talk with them. Those are very impactful as well because they need to hear from us. Kayla, I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside. We're using those social media platforms to share more information and videos during the week. And remember, you can hear these shows in a variety of ways as well on many local radio stations, on your favorite podcast platform, or go to farmingthecountryside.com to hear this show and others that we've broadcast. I'm Andrew McCray. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.